Hey, listeners, we're talking about Malignant today. Just so you know, there's going to be heavy spoilers in here. We'll try to keep it spoilerish free for the first few minutes while we give our recommendations, but just heads up. Again, this is Garrett. If you don't want this movie spoiled or you want the full impact of it, watch this movie before you listen to this episode because we're going to get rowdy with it and it is definitely going to spoil the hell out of it. It's on HBO Max as of the time of recording, so check it out. Check it out. Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on again. Wow. I was off last week. Um, still getting through, you know, working out the kinks, oiling the joints. Just hey, say you fucked up. I did. <laughs> hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode, a mini-sode, a quickie-sode. A point five. Extra content. Bonus episode. Bonus episode. I like it. Bonus episode of the Grave Talk podcast. Uh, today, just me and Garrett. We're here to talk about... 2021's Malignant. James Wan's Malignant. That's correct. Uh, gonna just do a quick one here. Uh, we, I felt strongly enough about this film that I needed to get something off my chest. Was it a giant tumor? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Was it a teratoma? Yeah. Spoilers, just a heads up. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I just, I just John that shit right up, didn't I? Yeah. This is a new movie, so just a heads up. We are going to get into it a little bit. Maybe not as heavy-handed as we do with our normal episodes, because uh, we want to keep it a little bit shorter. But yes, I felt compelled to talk about this one because I was just, is flummoxed the correct word? Flummoxed is, is an accurate word. Yeah. This movie came out of nowhere and seemed to really catch the cultural zeitgeist of everybody talking about it. And it seems to really have split the viewership down the middle of like who likes it and who doesn't. Yeah, it's a little different in, in, from Bird Box, which basically kind of caught the cultural like, you know, like eye for a moment. And everyone was like, have you seen this one's like, have you seen? And then the, the, the response after that is either. Yeah. Or. Ugh. Yeah. It's the water cooler horror movie of the year. Right. It, I, I think. And we, we briefly talked about this off camera, off microphone. Um, sure. Off microphone works. We, we were saying, like, do you think this one was helped by going straight to streaming service along with the movie theaters. And I think it absolutely did. I would disagree. I think that James Wan is a big enough force, like back with Eli Roth, you know, when he was doing, um, you know, consistent movies. I think he's a big enough name that would have done fine in the box office. I think this movie also is, I don't want to say divisive enough, but I definitely think it's shocking enough that word of mouth would have also pushed the sales of this. But I think because of the ease of uh, access to it, that the word of mouth got those people that wouldn't normally go out and spend 20 bucks on a Friday night, especially during COVID, to go in and watch this thing. So I, I really think the ease of accessibility helped it. I can agree with that. So John watched this one. He's not here today. He's got other things to do, kind of like I did last week. Um, he likes it a lot. Now, I also like this movie, but maybe not to the same degree that John does. I think I'm, uh, I'm, I'm more fascinated by the enigma that is malignant. I am utterly shocked that what we got in this movie is what they said, yes, go with. 
Um, I think we should probably just jump into it. I think we can like touch back on some of the like the the overall making and thought process behind some of this. As Mark said, mad spoilers. Yeah, let me get a little bit out of the way, and I just kind of want to leave it up front. If people don't want to get spoiled by this, they can at least know if we all recommend it to some degree. We should also put that at the beginning of the episode before I spoil the <laughs> right. fuck out of something. So out of the gate, this one, uh, as you said, James Wan directed. It's currently, as of Sunday the 3rd? Sure. I mean, whatever today is. Um, it's a 76% with the critics and a 52% with the audience. Really? That... And I think that actually represents the conversation. Only half of the people that watched it liked it. That Yeah, that's fair. So I think that's accurate. Now, it is a little surprising that the critics have taken to this to a 76 percentile. You know what I mean? Because this movie, to me, is a B-movie Cinemax flick you'd find on a Friday night in 1992 with a budget. Yes, but that's the thing, though, is it is a huge budgeted movie, and everything about it is <clears throat> clear my throat. Let me clear my throat. It's so well done. It's so, you know, James Wan has a, a polish that he puts on his films, and, and kudos to him for doing it. But it's like you have a beautiful box and then a perfect gift wrap, and then you open it up and you're like, it's a rock. <laughs> you're like, I mean, it's a nice looking rock, but I just didn't expect that from this. And I think, I honestly think the shock value of the of the storyline, not the the actual like plot itself, but like the choices that the filmmakers made in this is really what's dividing the audience. Uh, for all intents and purposes, there are Matrix level fight scenes in this. When I told you that I could easily spoil this movie by naming two other movies. Okay, and let me tell you what the movies I picked were. Yes, okay. <laughs> so, no, tell them the backstory about this. For weeks, you know, I've been talking to Garrett off and on. I was like, dude, there's like two movies that would completely nail down exactly what this movie is, but I don't want to tell you. I need you to watch it first. And then we were going to let Garrett now guess what I think, what he thinks those two movies are. Okay, so the ones originally I thought we were going with a Hunchback of Notre Dame. And I was like, well, maybe that's one of the movies. And then I was like, no, that, that can't be it. Um, later on, I actually came up with Sixth Sense. And then the other one I thought was uh, The Conjuring, which I, I realized, and I picked those about halfway through. I realized at that point, I was like, I think I'm wrong. But I don't know. This movie had so much random shit, I really couldn't pin it down to two. Well, I could see like it had a conjuring hoodie on and then halfway through the movie, it strips that hoodie off and goes, fuck you. Look yes, at me. <laughs> exactly. And that's just James Wan's like fingerprint all over it. Yeah, but absolutely. The two movies that I think this most represents is Basket Case and The Matrix. OK, I did write down some Basket Case references here. And then also I was all like, when did this movie become John Wick? Um, <laughs> yeah. I thought the Matrix a couple times, but because of the sci-fi nature of the Matrix, I wouldn't have placed that as one of the movies. The final 45 minute cop fight is totally like dodging bullets and fucking Matrix oh, level shit. I at one point I wrote down, I was like, if there's bullet time in this movie, I wouldn't blink twice. Yeah, it, it just Mr. evolves. Gabriel. <laughs> um, but to be fair, my roommate did actually call this plot straight away. Like we were like a third of the way through and she was like, oh, it's this. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And bam, sure enough, it was fucking that. I think I had almost all of this sorted halfway through the movie. I didn't. I just, but the thing is, I think it was because I kept going like, there's no way they went with that. There's no, there's no possible way they made this the thing they went with. <laughs> but they did. Well, let's just briefly discuss how this movie was advertised. 
right? I think that has a lot to do because the expectation of what this film was going to be and what it ultimately ends up being, like I said, it's a B-movie monster flick, more or less, with a lot of gore and action in it. It came off in advertising like it was going to be the next Conjuring or the next, like, A24, like, you know, or Paranormal. I saw it more of a, like, kind of Conjuring monster movie. Is the way I saw that that trailer. Or like a grudge. Yes, More exactly, like a grudge. exactly. Yeah. A very ethereal kind of like, ooh, you know, is it in the mind? Is it this? But no, this is just straight up a monster movie. Very well hidden. And I, I think only James Wan could have gone to a studio and gotten the budget he did for this because of the buckets and buckets of money that he's brought the studio so far. I, I will agree with that. I And let me say this, as dumb as the concept is, he did it so well. Like, I really liked the monster in this. There were parts of this movie that I was genuinely like, whoa, what the fuck? It's only when he goes into the the Matrix John Wick fight scenes that I ever felt taken out of the film itself. Like, if those had been taken out or they had been more viscerally, like, primal fights, less like, you know, like, when did... Hmm, when did Gabriel learn Kung Fu? You know, when did he learn how to fucking like, you know, do a triple axle off a desk? Like, these are the things that I was like, if that shit had been like taken out, and it was a much more primal, visceral fight, as I just repeated myself. Sorry, audience. I would have bought this more. I would have been like, yo, this movie is sick. This is so rad. It's just those moments. And again, those moments are still fun. I still had fun with those moments. But man, it just took me out of the moment. More or less what this story is, is a woman who is in the midst of trying to have a child. She's had a few miscarriages. A few? If she's got a subway card, she's about to get a free sub. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she's had, I think they said in the movie, like she's had three miscarriages in two years. And I was like, that is a lot of miscarriages. That's got to suck. Yeah. So it's put some strain on her marriage and her husband uh, is very violent with her, like uh, upsettingly violent out the, out the fucking gate. gate. Yes. He's like watching MMA on the TV. She comes in. He's like, aren't you going to work? And she's like, I don't feel so hot. The baby's keep kicking. No little dippy. And um, and then he's like, you should stay here. And she is like, no, I'm good. And he's like, starts getting like in her face. Like, mm-hmm. you should stay here. And she's like, don't touch me. And then she, he, she says, don't touch the baby. Like, she recoils from him when he goes to touch her belly. And I'm like, this is not a good marriage. No, and he's like, are you blaming me for all this bullshit? And then he, like, throws her against the wall and cracks her head against... There is a massive... Like, he busts the drywall in. Yeah, and my wife was actually watching this with me. Up until that point, she's like, I cannot watch this movie. I'm not in. I'm not here for this. Oh, you mean in the first five <laughs> minutes of this film we get this? Yeah, I watched this, and I was like, oh, no. I was like, he needs to die right now. (laughs) It's pretty quick. Yeah, he does really fast. (laughs) But yeah, so he cracks her head on it and she's bleeding. And this is always funny because like throughout the movie, her head bleeds occasionally from this wound. And I was like, she's a nurse. Right. She comes home and scrubs. They never actually say what she does. Right. They don't spell it out, but you can piece it together. It's like, you're a nurse. You're bleeding from the back of your head for an hour and a half of this movie. Go days, to the fucking for hospital. Days at a time. And I'm like, yo, if you're not, if you're a shitty enough nurse, you can't patch a head wound. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe she's still in training. <laughs> and you find out some more information later that justifies this a little bit more. But yes, she busts her head. She's bleeding from the back of the head. Yeah. This is where we get our first like creepy James Wan moment. And again, done so well. Um, it, yeah, this first one is definitely in the conjuring style of like, there's a ghost running around the house. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that uh, is alluded to through, uh, 
early on is that uh, I think the main character's name is Madison. Is that correct? M- Maddie. Maddie. Okay. But yes, it might be Madison. So Maddie is able to have these visions throughout the film where she's seeing things occur, normally violent murders, mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. she's just kind of a, uh, like a in a paralysis state watching these things occur. Through someone else's eyes. Thanks, Silent Hill. The world around her kind of morphs into this other um, set piece where she is now witnessing a just creepy, long, black, hairy, like, I don't know how to describe it. Like a Slender Man meets a grudge monster. (laughs) The, The creature walks strangely backwards, like very awkward movement. And once you find out the the concept behind that, I fucking loved that. Did you, at any point did you think it looked comical? A few CG moments, I was like, "Well, that looks dumb." But the moment it made sense, I was like, "I take back any criticism because that is so rad." Like, I loved that level of detail. It looked kind of goofy at times, especially when like the contortionist is like stabbing someone backwards. Mm-hmm. But once it was in context of the story, I loved that. It was such a unique take on a, a character. We've seen people walk backwards in horror movies and like do the like the little crickety walk and stuff. Mm-hmm. But to see it flow, see this character move with such fluidity backwards, that was very impressive to me. And I think they had a real person doing these things. I, I right? imagine they had yeah. one of those famous contortionists that have done some of the other horror movies do it. But yeah, definitely putting that $40 million budget to work here with these opening scenes and all the spooks and everything going on. The transition that you talked about, like it was going from the Silent Hill uh other place to real world. Like I thought that was a really great effect. And every time they did it, I was like, Oh, this is really nice looking. What did you think of the pacing of this film? I thought at times I thought it was very odd, especially the first half of the movie felt very strange to me. We said it was going from like a conjuring style, but then it turns into like this ABC channel police procedural for like a good 30, 40 minutes where we follow these cops trying to figure out who's doing the murdering. Yeah, I I thought the pacing was really well. It was very awkwardly paced. There's not like act one, act two, act three. I mean, there definitely is Mm -hmm. in a way, but the pacing of them is very sporadic. Um, I thought it worked. It reminded me of a Law and Order episode. You know, where you get you're getting so much data and so much happening that you're cutting faster than you normally think you should be. But it felt like a good flow. I mean, at no point did I pause this movie and say how much time is left. Actually, I did. After she gets her head busted in at the very beginning, I was like, oh, (laughs) whoa, I don't know if I can deal with like an hour of this. This movie's two hours long almost. Yeah, it really is. It's surprising how long it is. But I think it doesn't feel at the end, though. There's enough that's changing throughout the story that it doesn't ever overstay its welcome. Like once they start introducing that underground city under Seattle. Oh, that what shit the was shit. rad. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, what is this nonsense? And I it's real. I know it's real. <laughs> but this is the thing about this movie. I feel like this movie was the the writers had learned about some stuff and were like, let's put that in a movie. And then they just like, how could we make that work? And then like a bunch of little concepts came together on paper. If you just read the synopsis of this, You'd be like, what the fuck? This is this is dumb as hell. But played out, it works really well. And it is a kind of a unique, fresh take on a horror movie. I mean, with the exception that some of these elements have been taken or inspired by other other movies. But I don't think it's so much as a unique or or new. I think they've rearranged pieces to make it its own thing. Because like I said, we've already had a basket case. We've already yeah. had the creature living off the side or, you know, a conjoined twin 
story, you know. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and get that out of the way because the rest of this movie is going to make a lot more sense if you know what's going on. Right. So, just a quick burn through some backstory here. Maddie is having these uh, visions where she's seeing murders. The cops are trying to figure out who's doing it. Bada bing, bada boom. Somehow they get mixed. She calls the cops and they're like, "Well, hey, wait a minute." How does she know this stuff? And then you kind of find out the cops are like suspecting that maybe she has something to do with it because she's got some information. Um, yeah, she's like, I'm Professor X. I have like visions and can read people's minds and shit. And they're like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I did like the fact that she was honest about her craziness, though. And they were like, no. And I was like, yeah, that's the double edged sword of being like, I've got powers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I super love the part where her sister or she's at the cop station with her sister and she's like, don't you guys consult psychics for this kind of bullshit? And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. I was <laughs> like, wow, you're going to go with that card, huh? Um, so she's seen all the stuff. And then everyone who's getting killed are these doctors from this. I guess I want to call it asylum slash look like the house on Haunted Hill. On the edge of a fucking cliff up oh, in God. Seattle area. No one is building a psych ward or whatever the hell that is right next to a cliff a by the ocean. A 30 foot <laughs> tall building next on the, the edge of a precarious like oceanside cliff. Yeah. No. I guess we forgot to mention that it actually opens in that time period of there when we're at this facility. Some person or creature loses its control and just starts murdering doctors and and. Uh, nurses left it's and right. TK throwing people across the room. There is blood everywhere. And then this doctor who's doing video journals of like, you know, Gabriel is being very cranky today, blah, 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 blah. And then they're like, he got out. And she's like, what do you mean? We got to go. And so they run in, they end up getting Gabriel like subdued and you still don't see what Gabriel looks like at this point. And then she's like, that's it. It's time to take the tumor. It's time to cut out the cancer. Is that what he said? Yeah, she says pretty much. Yeah. And then the entire credits is played over this surgery. So right then and there, I was like, I think I already have an idea of what the fuck is happening. I was an idiot. I did not pick that up <laughs> at all. I, I was like, whoa, these credits are gruesome. And I appreciate that James Wan. I think he, you said that he wanted to make something that was more gory than what he's made before. Yeah, he, I think it, it was it's been put out there that he's tired of doing PG-13. And this was his uh, kind of like I get to spread my wings a little bit. And kudos to him. He spread those motherfuckers in sword. His bloody, gory wings. The, the gore <laughs> scenes are great. They're they're very James Wan, though. They're not like too overindulgent. They're not like Rob Zombie level, like, you know, stuff, but they're, they're very effective. Yeah, um, definitely. He, he, I'd like to see more of what he can do on a more R rated um, playing field. But um, so they, you see um, this creature being strapped to the chair and she's like, it's time to cut out the cancer. And you're like, oh my God, this creature just killed all these people. That's all you know. Cut to the movie, everything we've said about Maddie and her sister and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And then um, at some point in the movie, the sister and a few other people and the cops, I guess, like start to uncover the like, oh, my God, Maddie was she was adopted and she had an imaginary friend that she like talked to when she was a kid. They they start to find uh, information that leads them back to speak with their uh, adoptive mother. Yes. And she's like, oh, you remembered Gabriel like when we first got you you wouldn't shut up about him and uh, we thought that was just a phase or whatever. Oh, no. Her line is, we thought we could conquer this by giving you more love. And I was like, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that never works. The Care Bear strategy <laughs> fails again. <laughs> but yeah, so all getting pieced together. Doctors are still being murdered. The detective, he shows up to a murder right as it's happening and goes on chase. 
right? And he starts chasing this, like Garrett described, Gabriel is like this oh, long hair in front of his face. Think, think uh, Samara from The Grudge face, but um, long black skinny trench coat, kind of like Albert Wesker from the Resident Evil games, yeah. um, runs backwards. Everything uh, Gabriel does is backwards. And also, I just looked it up. It is indeed uh, Troy James, the contortionist who was in Hellboy's The Baba Yaga, the No Tidy Walker or whatever from Scary Stories. Ah, it is that dude. Yeah, it's that same dude. That man... God, you got to give it up to that. That dude can contort. He's incredible. And just to give you an idea, like when we say matrix level shit, like he is dodging, like people are throwing punches at him and he's leaning backwards. Only he's backwards. It's it's it is literally John Wick matrix level fights when this stuff is going down. So the detectives chasing uh, Gabriel and then Gabriel gets away. We find out through some like exposition and some like uncovering story, you know, Maddie was in this facility with Gabriel. Well, she was a patient. Yeah, she was a patient. Mm -hmm. And then you see through some videos, some great creepy videos that um, Gabriel was a conjoined teratoma on the back of Maddie. So it's like she's got she's a little girl in the front and on the back of her. She's got this weird monster (laughs) creature that looks creepy as fuck. I mean, I know it kind of sort of looks goofy. But I was in for it. It's a tiny basket case puppet on the back of her head. So much creepier (laughs) than the basket case puppet. But yes. And so through the the story, you find out that they they couldn't completely. Gabriel was developing powers and could actually like work in conjoined, you know, um, effort with Maddie. But it was making Maddie do bad things. And so they're like, well, we got to remove it. We can't remove it completely. So what they did is they cut off most of Gabriel and then just shoved the teratoma part of Gabriel back inside of Maddie's head in the back. And okay, so the transformation of like Gabriel coming out of her skull, like you see her skull crack open and the face emerge. She rips open her skull like she separates her skull so the face of Gabriel can come out the back of it. Goofy concept, visually fucking freaky as hell, man. I was so in for everything about Gabriel. And he he does have such a twisted face. It's not like just a normal face. It's definitely monster face. Like a a melted pumpkin head um, basket case type amalgamation. Do you know what I thought of immediately when I saw it? What's up? The baby from Alien Resurrection. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Mama. Yeah, like, that thing. Send that fucker through a pinhole. <laughs> Please. Yeah, Gabriel, go with it. Um, but so you find out that basically it is indeed uh, Maddie committing these murders, getting revenge for them trying to kill Gabe because Gabe is still inside of her. Well, they share a brain, right? So yes. bl- Maddie goes black and just kind of is somewhat... Like well, she doesn't go black. Ethereal aware of so what's Gabriel, going on. Gabriel has powers and can make her think that she's running through her mundane actions, like brushing her teeth, when in actuality she's across town mm-hmm. killing somebody. So that's the thing is Gabriel developed his powers because um, he always had powers at some point. But Which is hardly explained. But in the opening, they're like, he knows how to control electricity now. The and you're thing like, is the movie okay. takes it as green, <laughs> so you don't really question it too much. But uh, yeah, so Gabriel can make Maddie think that she's you know living her normal life when in actuality she's doing these things, which is why she has no recollection of it. But they are both still like, you know, one body. So the reason Gabriel's moving backwards and killing everything and slashing backwards is because it literally is on the, the backside of Maddie. So Maddie's doing all these things in reverse, which again, looks so amazing until she starts like bullet time, dodging chairs, 
throwing desks. Oh, she throws that hospital bed. Oh, which when the cops are running out of the room and she just like bullseyes those oh, cops with the she fucking throws chair. That chair and takes two out at once. And I was like, I was like, I got to applaud. But the thing is, when did Gabriel have the time to learn these like mixed martial arts, Vietnam, like marine level fighting skills? He shouldn't possess this because he's and been strength. dormant when her husband threw her against the wall, awoken Gabriel. Cracked her head open because he had been dormant. But when he cracked the head open, he released Gabriel, which I love that callback because I did not think of that until the end. I was like, oh, my God, like that one really got me. And I really appreciated it. So the, the, there's a couple things that it doesn't quite add up, right? So Maddie's adoptive parents have their own child, which is her stepsister. Blondie Little. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gabriel wants her to kill the mother or the her she sister. Wa- she wants uh, Maddie to kill the sister because Gabriel knows if the sister comes in here, Maddie won't need me as a friend anymore. Right. So at some point, Gabriel just goes to sleep. Like what, what made him go dormant in the first place? Well, I think Maddie's need to remember him and basically have a friend and have that connection is what was keeping him going because they explain this. So it is drop dead Fred syndrome. Kind of. Yes. (laughs) It is very drop dead Fred team Fred, baby. That's the second time we've Um, referenced that movie (laughs) on this podcast. Um, so he, he very, he's very weak at that time. He's not really, you know, able to do anything. Yeah. Having the sister, she focuses on the sister and the family. So she kind of forgets about Gabriel and Gabriel goes into like stasis, if you will, because you know, he's got no power. Now we find out that the reason she's miscarried so much is Gabriel has been eating the fetuses inside of her and gaining power through that. But he still wasn't powerful enough to escape her skull. And when he got cracked open, like Humpty Dumpty style, that's when it was Gabe's time to shine. Now, you landed directly on my second uh, issue with the plot. Yeah. How did the fucking sister know that he was eating the miscarriages or because whatever? Because it was in the videotapes. She was a baby. Shh. I'm saying it's in the videotapes. I don't know. She I, shouldn't have known that. But it was like shocking when it was revealed. Yes. Right. Yes. It was definitely like a, we've got to get this out to justify this thing. And I was like, OK, because her sister is an actress who plays a nurse on TV. Yes. She's not an actual nurse. So she should know nothing about the miscarriage. Thing. Yeah. And she's, she's out of work right now, too. So she's not even that good of an actress. Yeah. But um, yeah. So th- that's the big reveal. And you find out that Gabe has been like controlling her the exposition's playing out at the same time as maddie who's been taken into jail she's been taken to the holding cell and the seattle pd well because all the evidence adds up yes that, the hey, evidence looks like her this. and the, now at that point did you think it is her because i still was like i don't think it's maddie at that point i i suspected involvement but i didn't think she was the literal vessel Okay. Yeah, I, th- I thought that Gabriel was still around somewhere, but I didn't know it was attached to the back of her head. Yeah, and to be fair, there's a couple moments in this movie where uh, Maddie is looking at places and sees a shadowy, um, ethereal figure. Like when the lights are on, it's not there. When the lights are out, you can see a shadow of a figure, you know, like rising up and moving around and stuff. So that's what made me think, oh, it's an ethereal thing. Right. Like, like representational they, of him starting to take over her. Conscience. He had these he had these powers. So he's living in the like the the abstract, you know, spirit world and controlling things yeah. from there. That's what I thought was going on during the movie. It isn't until she's in the holding cell and some um, some prisoner ladies come up and uh, just start getting real rough with her. Some of the most caricature esque <laughs> people. Some of the most. <laughs> yeah, some, some of the, of the most. most. These women are out of the 70s, dude. Like, <laughs> oh, Foxy Brown <laughs> yeah. was sitting there. 
next to her. Like, I imagine some of these women are prostitutes, obviously. But um, probably yeah. not. Obviously, that sounds bad. But you know what I'm saying? Like one of them is dressed like in 70s disco gear and she's got a huge fro. And the other one's looking like your standard, you know, like very lesbian y kind of like you know, very masculine looking character. And they both kind of confront her and just start picking on her, you know, and that's it. That's what happens. They push her back down and it hits the back of Maddie's head against the wall. And then Maddie stands up and this, this cell is huge. It's got maybe what, 30 people in it. Yeah. It's the biggest cell with the most (laughs) women in it that they could jam in there. It's a huge holding cell. And we get our first matrix scene. Yes. Um, <laughs> or John we, Wick. We see, uh, yeah, either one works. The thing is, literally, it could be either one. If you just added bullet time, Matrix perfectly. If you yeah. take out bullet time, John Wick perfectly. <laughs> yeah. She grabs the back of her head and starts pulling her hair apart and her skin, and the skull starts cracking open. And you see Gabe's twisted little face pop out from behind, and she's not facing them. And they're seeing this, and they're like, what the fuck? And then the, the girl who's picking on him starts throwing other like prisoner girls at her like, uh, go take them. Their reaction to this was great. I think this was yep. a wonderful scene that I was just kind of laughing to myself as it played out. This is it's where, so over the top. Because earlier in the movie, we had a scene where Gabe was running away from the cop, um, the 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 skinny white cop or Asian cop. I can't remember what he is. Asian cop. OK. Funny side note, the uh, the strange girl who does all the like the, the crime scene. The uh, Emmy. Yeah. yeah, that's James Wan's actual girlfriend. Is it in real life? I was like, she's so trying to be that girl from Thor. That basically oh, yeah. Cat Dennings. Cat Dennings. I was <laughs> like, oh, boy, here we go. And she's got a little, little crush on the uh, the cop. And it's obvious. Like I was, I was like, that's sexual harassment. She like, she's going to lose on her the Asian guy like in real life. Whoa. <laughs> Mind blown. Yeah. Let me let my Gabe out here just to say, whoa, (laughs) Whoa. Um, (laughs) Neo style from the Matrix. We had a chase scene between the cop and uh, Gabriel earlier. And Gabriel jumps off some like um, scaffolding and some like, you know, escape ladders and stuff. Very good at parkour, this Gabriel. Yes. And goes to the Seattle underground society again that we saw earlier in the movie. And so what it is, is like at at, at the turn of the century, they built another Seattle on top of this old Seattle that you can still it still exists and you can go take tours of. So it's like going back into a time capsule and going in front of all these shops and stores that were from back in the day. And we forgot to mention that Gabriel kidnaps the woman who is is uh, leading one of these tours. Yes. And she's actually strung up in the attic of Maddie's house. Okay. So we'll get to that. We'll, let's get back to the, that <laughs> woman in just a minute in the attic. But yes. So um, Gabriel is running away from the cop in this underground where there's a horse and buggy type shit. And um, this is where we first get a little taste of our Gabe Matrix level skill set. And I was on the fence at that point. I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this. But it's not until that prison scene that we get full on Matrix level fighting. Yes. And um, that was it. That was the moment that I think is probably the most like impactful for people either liking this movie or not liking this movie. Because at this point, it becomes an action flick, a modernized action flick. Yeah. And I don't think this movie would work as well as I think it does if you don't go so over the top like they did. If it was a more straight laced standard like 
killed one or two people in the jail and escaped. I think it needed to go big, bombastic. Look, he can murder 80 cops and without a scratch. I'm I'm okay with that, but wouldn't it make more sense if like, you know, Gabriel leaped off a desk on top of a cop and like ripped out a throat or like, you know, was using its fingers to like claw open faces. Like you can go extremely over the top gory violent, but like I said, make it primal. Make it like, you know, this like utter rage that's fueling Gabe to do this. But the thing is you have him doing like Tai Chi reversals. And I mean, skill sets that this dude should never have. You don't because Maddie doesn't know it, but you don't think that backwards walking, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) no, say Freddie got fingered backwards, man, backwards, man, isn't comical enough. I forgot about Freddie got fingered backwards, man, backwards, man, the backwards, man, backwards, man, the backwards, man, the backwards, man, the backwards, man, the backwards, man, backwards, man, the backwards, man, I can walk backwards as you can, I can walk backwards as you can, like, isn't that a ridiculous enough concept? You're like, if we're going for it, we got to fucking go for it. Yes, it looks ridiculous, but the thing is you accept it. You don't think too much about it once you like get to know like oh that's just this killer's like style like you know it's the same reason we don't you know question certain other killers like unique things you know um i wish i had a better example in my head right now but i can't think of one but i i I feel like james wan was like this concept is just so absurd that we have to put the foot to the floor on the gas pedal. And I think that's fine with the violence and the sheer ferocity mm-hmm. of like Gabriel be able to take on 13 people at once and rip them to shreds. I think if you would have gone werewolf style fighting with Gabriel, that would have been based in more reality, reality finger quotes. It would have felt more acceptable, but the, the matrix level. And the thing is it's got a long black trench coat on. So it's like whipping around Neo style during these fights. And you're just like, fucking how like (laughs) like there's one point like gabe flips a hospital bed on top of the sister and she's evidently fine those beds don't weigh bed tons (laughs) yeah she gets up as if her legs aren't crushed it's Um, one of those uh orthopedics you know what i mean yeah hospital bed it's fucking you you can't lift them they are massive um they're designed so you can't tip them over like that's that's how strong he is Using Maddie's muscles, you know, this hundred pound woman (laughs) who got thrown by like Dirk at the beginning. Dirk or Doug. I don't remember the guy's name. Her husband. Uh, Yeah. But that dude's not a big dude either. And he gets she chunks. He chunks her across the room. So the point is, is like there's there's no way this would have happened unless you're going into like the abstract, like kind of like supernatural, which I'm okay with. I just thought the fighting style didn't fit the film. But that's, I think, where most people are like losing the the whole thing is like, wait a minute, this doesn't add up. It really doesn't. But I think that's why they peppered in like, oh, he can control electricity. Look, he speaks through old AM FM stereo radios. Yes, he can. Um, he that's has, how he communicates. He has telekinesis like, you know, yeah. power. So he can definitely like use that to kind of push a bed on top of a, a sister. <laughs> to, <laughs> right. to crush her lower half and then have her stand up and be like, are you okay? It's like, wait a minute, you're not okay. Yeah, it, it can be a, a bit much for people. I accepted it yeah. because I was already accepting into this ridiculous premise to begin with. So once the cop, or, or, so right before she gets put in the jail and that whole thing happens, that's where we find there's a woman up in an a, in a room and I thought it was like above like the Staples Center or something like that. <laughs> I was like, where is this giant fan? Her house is massive. Because it's like a vaulted ceiling on that first floor and then has a second floor and then an attic 
that goes up for three more stories. No one in a James Wan film has ever owned a house that's within their price range. No. They always live in like a 17 room mansion, which, hey, great for filming. It must have been in the family. She inherited this thing from yeah. the adoptive parents somehow. Maybe it was Doug's. Yeah. <laughs> so, Derek, I think. It Derek. Was okay, Derek. Her um, husband. Yeah. Her dead husband. Mm. Um, but yeah, so um, the cops come to like pick her up like, hey, okay, wait a minute. We think you might have done it. Boom. This woman falls out of the attic because she escapes from Gabe's like clutches, falls through the, the ceiling through, on the floor. Through the floor, like crashes into the coffee table from the ceiling. Not like she just tumbled down the stairs. Like <laughs> It's like a diehard moment. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Very surprising um, to find out, or was it, that this is her real mother? Okay, let me say, it was surprising for me, but everyone I was watching the film with had figured all this shit out already. <laughs> I felt really dumb during this movie, which is why I think I liked it so much is because it is absolutely shit bananas, but it's very entertaining. And I like the way he, James Wan executes a film. Yeah, uh, this was, I find this much more palatable than the last two Conjurings by a mile and a half. Wow. That's, but that's my personal okay, taste. Okay. It was, it was a nice change from his original formula. So we find out that the woman that crashed through is their, the birth mother, which the, the adopted parents were told was dead. So this is all playing out. We're learning all these little pieces of information as this is going out. Yeah, the her sister, sister goes back to the, the psych ward or whatever it is. The abandoned 30-story hospital on the cliffside, which I'm like, this place would not be abandoned. Every urban explorer would be in here. Every fucking like industrial band would be filming a music video here. Um, Iced Earth's album was shot there. She parks on the edge of a cliff. <laughs> like she like tire to edge of like seaside cliff. She just parks like, I guess I'll park here. And it's like, no. Yeah. And park. this this facility was in use in the 90s, by and the way. Yes. And it looks like it's not. It's been from like the 60s. I would say like the 1800s. <laughs> okay. like it, it looks old as shit. It was like, okay, sure. And also the uh, the documents in the basement of this abandoned building next to the seaside, you know, sea air, are totally unaffected. They look like brand new paper. Yeah, when this place closed down, they just left all their uh, classified documents down in the uh, basement. That's one of my big quotes I had. Like one of my big notes is I was like, there's no way you leave the evidence of your teratoma experiments on video at this place. That's the one box you take with you. Because the doctor had thumb drives of these files hidden in her encyclopedia collection on her wall. I know. So why would that same info be still in this abandoned building? You got to have a backup, Mark. <laughs> okay. Always back up your data. <laughs> I'll leave this here in case anybody needs to find the data. Oh, my God. It was so ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so all comes together. Gabe is like going to go track down the mom who's in the hospital because she fell through the ceiling because that's the last person. You know, Gabe's got to kill to get his revenge for everyone abandoning him and trying to snuff out his life. But, you know, letting Maddie do her thing, which also raised a question is like, is if Maddie's not conscious of this and he cares about Maddie, how come he's not trying to save the mom for Maddie? But regardless, you the mom wakes up and was like. I never should have abandoned you. I should have had you no matter what. You were a giant monster thing on the back <laughs> of my little girl who needed to have his own wardrobe, who could control shit with his mind. But you know what? I should have been okay with this. I wasn't a young mother who needed to like get rid of this kid. Like she immediately turns into like, I did everything wrong because I was a bad mother. And I'm well, like, no, you did everything right. She when you was have a 15 year old mother, right? Wasn't that? Yeah, the she idea? was raped. Yeah. The mother was raped at 15 and had this monster baby thing, which makes me ask, 
Who was she raped by? The devil? Freddy. Demons? Kruger. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, man. And so, but she turns around and was like, oh, regardless that I got raped at 15, I should have been a good mother. I should have just kept you crazy monster face and all. And I was like, no, you are not to blame here. Like, you are okay. Like, stop. I felt so bad for that mom. I was like, this is not the message I want here. No, she, she was not at fault here. But what happens is Maddie realizes that she can control uh, Gabe at this point. So she makes Gabe think that Gabe killed everybody when in actuality he didn't. And then Maddie locks him in a mental jail, which is shown to us by locking him in a mental jail. <laughs> yeah, this was the weakest part of the film for me. This, Where she this... closes the bars inside the black insidious <laughs> yeah. world. I was like, we get it. He's being locked up. She should have taken a key and kink a kink and then swallowed it. <laughs> But then Gabe would have access to it. Oh, you're right. They share a belly. <laughs> Man, that's got to be tough. But she learns to concert control. I'm sorry, assert control over uh, the situation and, and locks him away. And do you think they're going to make him malignant too? Okay, so once she does that and she's like, don't worry, I've got this under control to like the mom and the sister in the hospital room, you pull back, the camera shot pulls back and you see a light in the corner and then it kind of flickers the way Gabe was able to make the lights and everything do previously in the movie. So mm -hmm. there's the little like horror movie, like, uh Oh, is this really over? Yeah. I think there will be a sequel. I, I hope there's not. But the thing is this, this character and this concept, I didn't think there'd be a sequel to insidious, but True. there was four of those. But do you think there's enough there for them to make another cohesive story with this that could be on par with this. I want to say no, as far as that goes, but I do feel that this character, like, I think the the people in charge are going to see this and be like, that's a character we can franchise. That's the next jigsaw. Oh, that's God. the next, you know, you know, whatever. I really <laughs> hope they don't freaking franchise this out to another seven movies like the saw franchise. What if he can reach out to other Teratomas and then he controls a group? Okay, there, you just made a sequel. <laughs> He's going to go to a cancer ward and be like, like oh, rise God, my dude, children. Mark, that's so bad. Oh, Isn't that man. what you were referring to? I mean, not as blatantly, <laughs> but yes. Lift his hands like the White Walker in the fucking Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Come to me, my children. Oh, oh man. But um, yeah, so that's the general plot of, uh, I almost said Insidious 2, um, of Malignant. Yeah. I think everybody should check it out, at least just to experience this thing with the cultural conversation that has been going around for the last month about it. The surprise factor definitely helps this movie. Mm -hmm. And I'd recommend... Hopefully you, know, you watched it before listening to this 40-minute thing. I really do like this movie. You guys know I love a crazy horror movie. You know, that's why 80s flicks are my favorite. You know, crazy concepts, just insanity. This movie is the perfect mix of batshit insane storyline mixed with really good creepy James Wan modern horror. My only complaint is there is a choice they made during the fight scenes that really takes me out of the horror element of it, but small price to pay for a really interesting take. I mean, it's not the conjurings. It's not some of the same shit we've been seeing lately. I mean, even when you look at like sinisters and stuff like that, you know, like those are all awesome, but those characters aren't doing anything over the top. You know, the, the, the power sets and the, the way they handle their victims feels kind of, you know, in line. This just goes, as you said, completely left field with it, which kind of made it feel a little bit fresh. 
but also can take you out of the moment if you're not okay with that. I think that's three recommendations from us. I really hope that they don't make another sequel because I think it should stand on it. It does stand on it. I agree. I think this should be it. I love the ambiguous endings without having to actually go into a deeper plot line. Yeah. So that's what we think about it. Listeners, if you check this one out yet, you can always hit us up on our social medias. Let us know what you think of Malignant. Do you like it? Do you think it works? Do you wish it would have been a more standard uh, conjuring fair? Let us know. We're always happy to hear from you guys. Uh, We'll be back with another episode for you soon. Stay safe out there.